If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles this morning, chapter 33. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Is that true? When could you say it's not how you finish, it's how you start? Anybody ever been to a track meet? I coach track, and some of y'all knew that. That was the most excruciating coaching days of my life. The reason being because I didn't know a whole lot about track. I coached football, I knew about. I coached basketball, I knew about basketball, but I coached track. And the thing about track, I had kids coming out to me and they're trying to start. And I coached at a school that didn't have a track. So you couldn't just say, go out there and run around the track. They'd want to learn some specific things because they're like, okay, I understand I'm going to run in a straight line and I'm going to turn left, kind of like they do in NASCAR, except you don't have a car, right? So in track, it's critical to have a good start about coming out of the blocks. You know what the blocks are in track? Those are those little metal thing that kind of dig down into the, the track and you get down in it. And I'd be ashamed to put myself in a, in a starting stance because this shirt ain't exactly that flattering. Anyway, no, but I'd be, I'd be all down here, hands on the ground, face over, like right up to the line, hands right up to the line. And then you listen for the ready, set, and then pow, the starter gun goes off, the starter's pistol. And I had kids that wanted to learn how, how am I supposed to get off, coach? I need a better get off. And I'm like, okay, well, good, let's, let's work on that. So I had to try to research it so I could teach it because that was before the days of YouTube and all that stuff. Now I'd be like, go find a good track coach on YouTube because I ain't one. But uh, I would try to teach them what I learned. And sometimes... They were able to do it, and sometimes they weren't. But I can tell you, I never had a kid come out of the blocks, take two steps, stumble, and then win the race. Never saw that happen. And I coached track for a long time. I coached it for two seasons. Never saw it. Never saw it. In my kids, never saw it on any other kids that ran, but when they stumble coming out of the blocks, they almost never cross the finish line first. Never saw it. It probably happens. You know, Usain Bolt, I taught him how to run. No, I didn't. But that guy could probably stumble, lay down, fall on the ground, get back up, fall again, and still beat me by 30 yards in a, in a, in a 100-yard race. You can't stumble coming out of the blocks. But we often say it's how you finish that matters. Because even those kids that would stumble out of the blocks, and there were a lot of them. You know, I'm not going to say every track meet had one kid that stumbled. But you would see it every now and then. Kids stumble, get out of the blocks. They'd finish the race, though. They don't quit. They don't stumble out of the blocks and go, man, I stink. Oh, this is garbage. And walk off. They don't do that. What do they do? They run the race. They finish. And their time may not be anywhere close to the winner's time, but they run the race. They fight the good fight, right? Paul wrote about that. We're going to be looking at a guy in, the, in, in 2 Chronicles. He's also in 2 Kings. That was the son of the guy that we've been looking at for the last couple weeks. The guy we've been looking at the last couple of weeks was Hezekiah. Hezekiah. We're going to, and I'm going to give myself a shameless little plug for tonight. 
Hezekiah. We've been studying him. I didn't want to preach the last Hezekiah sermon this morning. That's going to be this evening. So come back tonight. We'll feed you afterwards, playing the, the jumper back there and all that kind of stuff. Good times tonight. Good sermon tonight. But I wanted to show you his son, Manasseh. Anybody know about Manasseh, Hezekiah's son? Anybody? Raise your hand if you ever heard stories about Manasseh. Yeah. Here's the story about Manasseh. He was a scumbag. All right? This guy was bad to the bone, and I'm not just exaggerating. God did not like what he was doing. We studied Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king, did a lot of good stuff for the kingdom of God, spread the kingdom of God, rose up, stood firm against the enemies of the kingdom of God. But his son, mm, not, not a friend of God. So we're going to pick up, we're going to start off in, in verse 9. It says, so Manasseh, seduced Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Did y'all hear that? He did more evil than the nations who destroyed Israel. I want you to think about that. One man did more damage to his own people than all the nations that had been attacking them. That's saying something. You want to know why? You want to know why this guy was so bad and why he did so much damage? Because he was a guy that was in power. He was a young guy when he took over. We're going to go back to verse 1. Now we're going to rewind it some. Go back to verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Anybody here 12? Anyone in here 12? 12 12-year-old Ira. Ira is 12. Imagine, uh, and we got Madison back there. Imagine if Madison and Ira were the king and queen. (laughs) Both of y'all like, "Uh uh-uh. Imagine if they were the king and queen of Judah. Be like, yes, your highness. I'm sorry, Sir Ira. <laughs> yes, it would be. It's a, from a 12-year-old. That would be a horrible idea. Why? Because you don't want a 12-year-old in charge. Now, a lot of these scholars say, well... He wasn't necessarily in charge of the nation. He was what we call a co-regent, which means that he was in charge with his father, Hezekiah. At one point, their time overlapped. So mm, there's a lot of guys, and there's some evidence that suggests that. I'm not going to tell you what to believe on that. You can do it. That's a long, boring study on your own that you can do. But there are evidences that show that Hezekiah and his son Manasseh ruled together. As, as co-regents, but here's what he did. So today we're going to have two things that I want you to focus on. If you've got an outline and you're taking notes, we're going to be looking at the new king, 
the new king. Now, you remember what Hezekiah did, talked about it a couple weeks ago. Hezekiah, when he became king, day one, went in there, started smashing idols. All these idols on the high places, on the hilltops, these big pillars that look like a little mini Washington monument, they called them the pillars, Asherah poles, they were, they were pagan cultic symbols for cult worship, for pagan worship. And they would worship at these high places, these pillars. That's what they did. Hezekiah, Manasseh's dad, smashed them all, knocked them down. He started rebuilding the temple. He started instituting the priesthood again and said, y'all priests, y'all sanctify yourselves. We are going to start worshiping in the temple the right way. And I need y'all to have it under control, which means you need to be right with the God, the true God of heaven and earth. So get that situated. And he established that. And now Manasseh doing away with all that. So here's what we see. Manasseh, this wicked king, verse 2 says, He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So he started instituting all this stuff. Verse 3 says, He rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down and raised up altars to the Baals and made wooden images. And he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord, which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem, my name shall be forever. And he built altars to the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He also caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. He practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft and sorcery, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image, the idol which he had made, in the house of God, which God had said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the names of the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever and will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed to your fathers, only if they are careful to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law and by the statutes in the ordinances by the hand of Manasseh. Uh, by the hand of Moses, I'm sorry. He did a lot of stuff there. I wrote down what he did, I just read it to you. He rebuilt the pagan high places. Now I want to take you through why these things were bad, and I want to kind of give you a little idea of what that might look like in your places because let's be honest none of y'all relate to the high places do you how many of y'all ever go up on a hill and worship at a little obelisk a little pillar anybody none ya none you do why because that doesn't make sense in the world that you live does it doesn't at all This new king instituted some old practices that had been going on before his dad. Taking people up to worship on on the hilltops. Why was that an issue? Well, first of all, it was 
pagan in nature, which means it wasn't honoring God. And secondly, where were these people supposed to worship? Where were they supposed to worship? In the temple, right? That's where they were supposed to worship. They weren't supposed to go up to these high places. Now, you want to know why they did them at high places? Because it was beautiful up there. It was pretty. You want to know I've met a lot of folks who slip out of Christianity because they tell me and it's something and it sounds like this. Preacher, I worship God how I want to worship God. I don't need to be in church to worship God. You ever hear something like that, anybody? You probably said that, if you're honest, something along those lines. And there's an element of truth there. However, the Bible also says that we're to gather together and not forsake the assembling together so that we can stir one another up in good deeds and to love each other and to grow closer to each other. But this dude's like, you know... I'm going to build the high places. I'm going to make these temple shrines up on the hills, overlooking communities, overlooking towns. It'll be beautiful. You have the mountain scenes and the fall foliage and the river running through it. It'll look like something that ought to be painted on the back of a baptistry, right? I mean, you got something like that. It's like what people spend money for to go up to New England and go, just look at the beautiful colors. And he said, I'm going to... Build the stuff up there for people to worship. And the people started having this attitude of, hey, I can worship God where I want to. That's the beginning of that downward spiral. If you are called and instructed by God through his word to worship with other believers, then why do you think you should just say, you know what, I can worship from I can worship from my tractor. I can worship from my boat. I can worship from my deer stand. I can worship from, you know, the back seat of, of a friend's trip on our way to Vicksburg. I can go, I can do this, I can do that. But the fact of the matter is what God's word says and prescribes from you may be different than what you think. And I'm just going to say this. If what you think is what against God says... You're wrong. There ain't much to it. I'm not trying to shield your feelings. I'm just going to flat out call it. So he says, he also, not he says, he also starts Baal altars again. He's bringing Baal back. Now, who's Baal? Baal is the false god. Baal is like this thunder god, the god of the sky and the air and all that stuff. So he starts bringing Baal back into the worship system, which was a problem for years before that his father dealt with. Baal is being worshipped again. Sacrifices being made to him. Why? Because the people like Baal better than God. Why do they like Baal better than God? God? Baal's a more fun God, I guess. I don't know. When you worship Baal... It's a little more liberal with you. It's a little more about what's comfortable to you and what's pleasing to you. And it's not about what's pleasing to him. So we have this Baal worship going on. If we're honest, we've let that symbolical Baal worship in our own lives. Where we start worshiping 
the stuff that we like better, that we would rather do. Baal kind of represents the God of our, our preferences. It's a bad place to be because it's starting to bring in the bad doctrine and that kind of stuff. And then idols were introduced. Idols are introduced into worship from this king. Are there idols in your life? Well, yeah. Some of y'all probably have stick idols at your house, wooden idols, totem poles, I imagine, in your backyard, right? How many of y'all have like a totem pole idol in your backyard that you're worshiping? You're falling down and you're going, oh, no, no, so ma, 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 right? Any of y'all doing that? Because that's just nuts. All right, that's crazy. What are the idols that you worship? You bow down before the purple and gold altar of LSU football on Saturdays? Can't do anything else, but I'm going to paint my face purple today. I'm going I'm to barbecue with my face painted yellow and purple. I'm going to have my friends over, and I don't drink, but we are going to have some beers. Just own it. Just own it. You ain't going to hell if you drink a few beers. Your breath will smell like it, though, on your way down. No. <laughs> Is that idolatry? Is it idolatry when you've got to clear your calendar so you can go across the state to watch your grandchild play a baseball game, softball game, whatever type of game they're involved in, football game? Is that idolatry? Is it idolatry to say, no, I'm not even going to consider anything else because I have to bow down at the altar of my nine-year-old's travel ball game? Is that idolatry? Is it? I mean, because these are things, I got kids, I got four kids. You don't think there were times where I was bowing down at the idolatry of Joe's all-star game back in 2016 when he was in sixth grade? stupidity. I'm looking at a 12-year-old trying to throw a curveball, and he had a nasty curveball. And then where'd it go? I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we have these idols that we fall down and we worship. We have the idols of yesteryear and tradition. Y'all, I know some people who think churches are museums. They're not. I know some people who who think that, man, this was done in 1979 and it worked. It brought in 190 people one day. That's when the church ran 200. Just because something worked whenever doesn't mean it's going to work again. You know why Manasseh is going back to that? Because he saw that working earlier in his father's life. Tony, no, he didn't, because Hezekiah was right, and he had it together when Manasseh was born. That's not what you're going to find out tonight. That's why I'm plugging tonight. We can't have the idols of worship, programs. You know how church programs are? Church programs are new at one point. 
Our church went away from Awana a couple years ago. You want to know why? Because Awana was aging itself out. So you know what we did? We put in the gospel project. And we do Bible drill. And anything that Awana could have taught, the kids are still being taught, except they're being taught through a different medium. Understand this. The gospel never changes. Ever. But the medium does. The medium does. These idols that they had. There are idols in today's world, in today's churches. They go off the... So I hit... All right, I hit traditionalists pretty hard right there. You ready for me to hit some of the other side pretty hard? Idolatry also happens in the form of we got to be new and fab and hip and wonderful so that we can do everything for everybody. And you you become good at zero for nobody. Think about this. How many churches have been crushed under the weight of a fly-by-night program, fly-by-night music. Oh, man, we, our church, we changed our music in one day. And those churches worship their music instead of the God that the music is about. I've told you all stories about churches that were under the weight of their bands. And their band decided, hey, we're going to take a month or two off. And we're not even going to have music. And we're just going to worship God. And if people leave, then people leave. Why? Because people were worshiping the music over God. You can have that. You can have that. So it was going on back in these days as well. He then brings in star worship and the heavenly host, and he puts out in the courtyards altars to the heavenly hosts. I want you to think about that. What would that look like today? That would look like in the newspaper, if anybody reads those anymore, your little horoscope says, going to have a good day. <laughs> I'm an Aquarius, by the way. No, I, I really am. But I don't care. Because there's no power in the stars and the moon and the sun and the eclipses. And it doesn't create an aura of good energy around you like the New Ageists would have you believe. There's that. And they brought that to the temple courtyard. They brought idols into the worship service at that place, they built altars within the temple for idols. And God circles back around to that one. But this is Manasseh in who he is. And then he puts his sons through the fire of the valley of Hinnom. You know what that is? You know what that means? He burnt his baby boys as an offering to these gods. What's that called today? That's called abortion. I can't have an abortion. I mean, I can't have a baby right now. I've heard this 
rationale. Can't have a baby right now because I can't afford it. I can't have a baby right now because it doesn't mesh with my lifestyle. So I'm going to sacrifice them in the fire of the son of Hinnom. We'll get rid of them so I can live the lifestyle I want to live because I'm going to put myself on that throne. I become my own idol and my lifestyle becomes my own idol. This is Manasseh, the king of Israel in the nation that he is leading people down. It's leading them right down the trail of idolatry and judgment from God. He's involved in soothsaying, which is fortune telling. How many of y'all going out to Chinese afterward? How much stock do you put in your Chinese fortune cookie? None of y'all? None of y'all live your life based on that fortune cookie. Oh, wow. Fortune telling, palm reading, tea leaf reading, all that kind of stuff. He started witchcraft, spells and entertainment of, and enchantments through witchcraft. Think about that. Witchcraft. Today, witchcraft is done. There's black magic, white magic, all this other stuff. And it's introduced to your children in a lot of different ways that you may or may not even know. Parents, know what your kids are listening to and what they're watching. I'll just say that. Don't be an idiot in the other room Doing your own thing, playing your own game, watching your own TV, doing whatever outside, piddling. When your kid is watching something in their room and you have no earthly idea what it is. Well, it's Disney. It's probably okay for them to watch. <clears throat> Disney is some of the biggest trash out there as far as indoctrination of kids. I'm not jumping on you if you've been to Disney World in the last year. But understand this. It happens and Disney is a large promoter of it. Witchcraft, mediums and spirits were being introduced into the regular worship of the nation. What does that mean? Spiritists speaking to the dead and that kind of stuff. Have you ever seen the signs on the side of the road? There was even one between here and Bastrop about, hey, $10 palm reading. That, that falls in this category. Bring up the dead. How many of y'all had a Ouija board in the house? Y'all are church people. You're going to be too ashamed to raise your hand. Raise your hand if you had a Ouija board in your house. Yeah. I had a Ouija board in my house. We summoned up some little thing called devil dog. We thought it was a joy and a blast. Here we are, a bunch of sophomores in high school, hanging around, playing with the Ouija board and all that stuff. And then later on, I realized that was kind of stupid. I wish I knew the spiritual impact of that then that I do now. But it's just like opening doors for spirits to get into your life. Why would you bother doing that? It's crazy. Yet they were doing it intentionally on purpose. And then there was the idol in the temple. And I referenced it a minute ago. So often we build an idol and we put it in the temple. And the idol may be you. 
It may be a better version of you that you think you're going to be. And you say, I'm going to worship that Tony. Well, you wouldn't say Tony, but unless you did, that would just be weird. But I want to worship that idol. I want to worship that version of me. And sometimes you create your own different version of God there. And you say, well, this is what God would feel like. I don't think God has an issue with. God wouldn't mind if. Have you ever started sentences like that or thoughts like that? Because if you do, unless they are scripturally true, you're guilty of idolatry. And you're guilty of forming God into something that he is not. And then that's the God you say you serve, but it's no God at all. It's your best understanding of who God is, and I created him, and that's here he is. And me and the big man have an understanding. I know He sits in my heart, and I asked him to live in my heart. If it ain't the Lord Jesus Christ, if it isn't God the Father, if it's not the true Holy Spirit that resides in you, that you are worshiping, then that's idolatry. How is God revealed? God isn't revealed. It's going to be insulting to some of y'all, and I'm not trying to insult y'all. I'd rather insult you here than you go down with a lie. Here's where God is revealed. All right? He's not revealed in your emotions. He's not revealed in your thoughts, in your dreams. He's revealed in his word that he gave to us. And when we understand that, we can worship him here because he is good, because he is pure, because he is loving and graceful. He, Manasseh, was a bad, bad man. He led his family astray. He led the nation astray. Heaven or hell? What, what would you say about this dude? Would he go to heaven or would he go to hell? What would you think? Hell, hell, exclamation point hell. That's where you would say he's done. But, I love this, but God. But God is going to intervene and God is going to Take Manasseh, and he's going to grab him, and he's going to put the enemy army of the Babylonians against him, and they are going to crush his kingdom. And he is be going, be going, I just invented a new word. He is going to become a captive in his own kingdom. And I won't read all the verses, but this is what happens. He prays. To God. He repents. He turns from his wickedness. Verse, verse 12. When he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God, humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and prayed to him, and he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his own kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. What did he do? 
the new king became a new king. The new king, which installed all the old ways, became a new king because God heard his prayer when he humbled himself. He was brought to the lowest of lows because God put the judgment of the enemy nation on him. Now, to Manasseh, that wasn't a good thing. At the Oh, we're being invaded. This is not good. But he humbled himself, realized who God was, realized who he was, and guess what happened? He got right with God. He gets saved, right? The baddest man who was ever a king in Israel ends up, from this point on, going back and trying to rework all the wrong that he did. All of the mistakes that he made. He's going back, he's trying to rework it. But is that what happens in your salvation? If you are saved, do you just look at your past and go, man, i got to fix all that? You acknowledge it. Some of it you can fix, some of it you can't. But he started to work for God. You know what happened? It wasn't enough to undo all that he led his people down the wrong path. He ends up still coming short. Verse 17. Nevertheless, the people sacrificed on the high places, but only to the Lord their God. Did they come all the way back to God and do all the things that he said to do in his word and follow Manasseh wholeheartedly, who was trying to lead them toward God? No. Because you can know what is right and what is biblical and still say, nah, not gonna. Too much for me. Don't feel like it. Not convenient enough. I'm still gonna worship God, but I'll do it on the high places still. I don't have to do it in the, in the temple. I think that's where we are in Christianity. There's some folks who get it and they know it and they love God and they're like, Lord, you above all things. You above football, you above baseball, you above my grandkids, you above my friends, you above my work, you above money, you above hunting, you above the fishing, you above all things. And then there's some folks who are like, God, I want you at my convenience. I want you in the high places where I can look around when I get bored and go, man, I'd like to try fishing down there. Man, I wonder, wonder if so-and-so still lives over there. Maybe I'll go visit them. God wants all of you wholeheartedly. Now, if God can look at a guy like Manasseh and say, I'm going to answer your prayer and I'm going to show you grace and goodness and love and mercy because I know you. If there was someone who did not deserve mercy and grace, it was Manasseh. But what did God do? He showed it anyway. I'm believing in my heart that there is nobody as bad as Manasseh in this room right now. 
No matter how bad you think you've been and no matter how far you feel like you've been from God, it's not further than Manasseh. And I'm going to pray a hard prayer, so you better get your heart right before I pray it. I'm going to pray that God is going to work on you however he needs to to get you to that point that he got Manasseh. I'm going to pray that for me too. I'm going to pray that he works within us to draw us to himself rather than let us go our own way. Because that's what I'd rather do. So, during this time of invitation, I'm asking you, if you will get real with God, if you will say, Lord, change my heart, I want you to do it. And you pray that, and you mean that, and I want you to. Because then I'm going to pray... That prayer for you after that. And you're going to be like, that ain't a loving prayer. But it is. Because I'd rather you go down under the judgment of God than be turned loose over to the hands of Satan. 